everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is John Sikotowski. I'm the director of kids ministries here at High Point Church. And you're going to be hearing this intro from me because Ashlyn is currently driving through Pennsylvania because she was deplaned three times and then told that her flight was canceled. So in lieu of her recording this intro, I'll be recording this intro. In this episode of the Engage Equip podcast, you're going to be hearing Pastor Nick, Nicole Kyle, and Jill Reese have a conversation about views on men's and women's roles in the church and how High Point Church aligns with those views or doesn't align with those different views as a church. For some context, in this episode, they're going to be talking about how complementarianism is both similar and distinct from other views on relationships between the genders, such as patriarchalism, traditionalism, egalitarianism, and feminism. The goal of this conversation is to talk about some of the assumptions and associations that we tend to have around the word complementarianism, and hopefully we can talk about those in such a way that we can get an accurate idea of what complementarianism is and what it isn't, so that women can walk in freedom in their created femininity. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the Engaged Equip podcast. My name is Jill Reese. I'm here with Nicole Kyle and Nick Gibson. We're going to be talking about complementarianism. And Nicole, relevant to this podcast, Nicole is the um, leader of our women's ministry at High Point, and Pastor Nick is our lead pastor. And I'm a woman <laughs> on a church staff. So yeah, that's and why besides we're all here. my assistant, Jill is my research assistant and yes. is competent in many of these things. So. We, part of yep. the reason we want to talk about complementarianism is the rooted class is going to be discussing yes. roles this coming Sunday. My wife is going to be giving that talk, but the talk's only going to be like 25 minutes. She's going to cover stuff very mm-hmm. briefly. I'm sure people are going to take all the wrong ideas from it. People who are upset about the idea and other people will take very positive ideas who want to. It'll be, it's difficult to communicate in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to talk a little bit, about, bit more about it. Complementarianism, that word covers the closest to high points theology of mm-hmm. male and female relations and so it's worth talking about since this is our doctrinal mm-hmm. framework mm-hmm. Yeah. for how to live together in marriage and in the local church yeah so before we unpack complementarianism could you guys talk about what your definition of it is or what the definition of it is i'll defer to you nick <laughs> <laughs> so i got this quote for there's a couple of quotes i have here one's from mary Casson. she's um She's a woman who does a lot of teaching in this area in the Gospel Coalition, and she's an adjunct professor at um, Southern Seminary, I think, but I think she's a Canadian by residence. She says, Complementarians believe God designs male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. Right? In, in another way, uh, Gavin Ortland defines it this way. By complementarianism, I mean the view that men and women are equal as God's fellow image bearers, but do have some differences in r- of role in the church and in the home. The way I like to put it is equal, but not interchangeable. In other words, you cannot simply swap male and female in and out of different roles without any consequences, nor are the differences between male and female merely matters of anatomy. There are some fundamental structural psychological differences as well, though never matters of better and worse. Two specific ways this plays out. I think the husband is called to a loving leadership role in the marriage and the office of elder, bishop, or overseer, typically called pastor, is reserved for men. 
That's mm-hmm. that's almost exactly the view that High Point Church holds. Um, a couple of books on this that people already want this, so we don't forget later. Claire Smith. Um, she's a she's a, a Australian scholar. Who wrote a book called God's Good Design, I think is the title. And then Kathy Keller wrote a very small book called Gender Justice and Gender Roles or something. Justice Gender. Jesus. And the, <laughs> I <can't> <laughs> Kathy Keller. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, Kathy we'll find K. the right one. Yeah, we'll, we'll find it. it. Yeah. So, um, but they hold that same view that the role of elder in the church is reserved for men Mm -hmm. and that, and that that should be a plurality of elders and that in the, in the home, the husband has a role of loving leadership and that there is a relationship of leadership and therefore Mm -hmm. submission between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And we'll, as we talk, we're going to talk some about what complementarian does not mean or what is not complementarian. But I think that one of the things that is really important to highlight here is that in both of these people that you quoted there was an emphasis on the equality of worth between Mm -hmm. the man and the woman and Mm -hmm. that both bear the image of god uh equally and so that's again we'll we'll get into other examples of how of things that are not complementary in theology that Mm -hmm. i think many people think are Mm -hmm. and that equality of worth is really important yeah both theologically and philosophically and then practically and functionally yeah. Like if mm-hmm. you, well, but we'll talk about that as one of the pro- problems that complementarians can get mm-hmm. into is to believe it, but not make it mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways we've talked about this and you guys had some discussions with um, Steve Treichler, pastor in yeah. Minnesota about right. how people frame this out in terms of an ideological spectrum. And so what I've done for our staff is I've said, I've laid out in six pieces, mm-hmm. uh, patriarchalism, traditionalism, complementarianism, egalitarianism, feminism, mm-hmm. and like you could call it non-genderism or non-binaryism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So patriarchalism, which is more mythology than reality in most cases, mm-hmm. at least in the last 500 years, is um, things are done for the sake of the man, right? Traditionalism would be something like men and women are very, very different. They function in different spheres and different roles that barely overlap and men and women should stay in those, mm-hmm. right? And that will and men generally have leadership roles in those traditional roles and women generally have more submissive supportive roles and nurturing mm-hmm. roles, right? Complementarianism would be the view that men and women overlap dramatically in their scope and roles, mm-hmm. but there are significant differences between men and women that are part of God's good design and that two of the ways that is supposed to structure itself minimally. And they're the only two discussed in the Bible and they are emphasized throughout the Bible is that in family, God's primary institution, that there is a role of leadership and submission between husband and wife. And in the local church, there's a relationship of leadership and submission between the elders and the congregation. And the, the elders are made up of men and the congregation is made up of men and women. And so in that situation, there would be a differentiation of roles. Mm-hmm. And that's really it in the Bible. Um, you could argue that the role of soldier is reserved for men in the Bible. You could make some of those kind of arguments that there could be a few more roles reserved for men or reserved for women. Childbearing, for example, is reserved for women in the Bible. Um, but for the most part, those are the main differentiations discussed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then egalitarianism would be, there would say, most egalitarians would say there are differences between men and women, but because men and women do things differently doesn't mean there's anything that men do that women Mm -hmm. should and vice versa other than that which is biologically dictated like Mm -hmm. childbearing Mm -hmm. feminism i would argue is the belief that the world is best when the feminine is primary 
that the future should be feminine, that influence, feminine influence is better for everyone. And that though, because there's a natural um, power differential between men and women, that there should be a structural favoring of women in the way we structure society and do many things. Uh, Cause if we try to make it literally equal, men will always take an advantage. And so what that produces, I think in human culture is a favorable position for women and a favorable voice for women mm-hmm. and a, in some ways a primacy or a, um, like a default to women having voice and role and leadership and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then lastly, non-binaryism or non-genderism is just the idea that the whole idea of male, female and mm-hmm. masculine, feminine is just misguided. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have said this like 10 years ago, you wouldn't have to include this in the view of gender roles. But if you don't think there are genders or if you think that a woman can be a male mm-hmm. or a, a female can be a woman and a male can be a f- female or a woman, Invite, you know what I mean? That's yeah. I'm saying, sorry, I'm not, I'm not getting that right. <laughs> but if you think that whether you're a male or a female yeah. has nothing to do with whether mm-hmm. or not you are a man or a woman, mm-hmm. then that whole concept of gender goes away. And so then the idea is we'll all relate to each other better mm-hmm. as males and females and men and women when we stop thinking those two are mm-hmm. the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so from, as far as I can tell, the most biblical of those would be egalitarianism and complementarianism. And I think biblically speaking, and I think functionally speaking complementarianism is the spirit superior of those two it's more right biblically and in practice i think it creates a more flourishing Mm -hmm. before we talk about why that is um some more i think this is really important to hear all these definitions because it's very common in both directions uh, from the on the spectrum to hear some of these words and equate them with some of the other words you mentioned or to not know what they really mean and lump more into it or make it how to mean what we want it to mean. And so, um, I've seen this in my own life with complementarianism and traditionalism thinking when I, it would, it's been recent to me to know that complementarianism is not the same as traditionalism. Right. Because I heard that I heard complementarianism, that word and would think of traditionalism. So I, and I know there's other ways that can go too. One of the things before we started recording that I brought up too is that I have a lot of really good girlfriends who are, um, who call themselves biblical feminists. Mm-hmm. But when I have conversations with them, I would, I, I think what they would mean and what what I hear from them is actually more of an egalitarian view. And so, yeah. when Nick brought up this definition, and I've heard this from other pastors as well, I was like, well, I don't think it's really fair to say that the feminist view is that view, and so. And Nick, you responded yeah. with that. And so I'd, I think it'd be helpful for you to yeah. share so, again so what So my response was. is, so it's, it's fairly common for people to want to hold a particular, they get, they figure that they should be associated with a certain word. And so they define that word in a way they're comfortable defining it. And that's true. I mean, I've actually had this argument with people about the, what the word evangelical means. Mm. Right. And yeah. whether or not evangelical just means Trump supporter now. Mm-hmm. And that we should, we have to change words. I mean, one of the reasons we say complementarian instead of traditional Mm-hmm. right is because traditionally traditionalists thought they were doing complementarianism <laughs> but they weren't doing a great job of it mm-hmm. and so in order to say we're not doing that we have to use a word like complementarianism to focus on complementarity rather than tradition right mm-hmm. however any word that we use isn't just doesn't just hold the meaning we want to give it it also holds the meaning that it right. has had historically right. and that it has presently right now. Mm -hmm. in the movement that it's part of. And so the word evangelical, for example, has been around since the second century. 
It has always mm-hmm. meant the gospel or people of the gospel, people who believe in sharing the gospel, inviting people to believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's always been the gospel about Jesus Christ, and it's always been rooted in the Bible. So two or three years of Donald Trump can't change that. Certainly not yet. Um, but if this persisted for 20, 30 years, and we couldn't pull the meaning back, there might it might be reasonable for a time to stop using the word. In fact, many evangelical Christians won't say the word mm-hmm. evangelical, just like many Southern Baptists mm-hmm. <laughs> won't say the word Southern Baptist. Right. Um, but the word feminism right now has for so long meant something similar to the way I've defined it and not less that it's very difficult for someone to take that word and say, I am a feminist, but in none of these many ways, feminism has been pushing the culture of the society I have lived in for decades Instead, what I am is this other thing. And the reason why I think, because I think, Nicole, you were like, you said something like, so do you think these women shouldn't call themselves feminists, right? Which I realize that sounds like hubris for me to tell women they shouldn't call themselves feminists. But I, I do think they should not call mm-hmm. themselves feminists. And the reason for that is, especially as believers, is I don't think that you should lend your moral credibility to a movement that doesn't deserve it. You don't get to speak for feminism. You don't have the controls and reins over what it says. And what feminism is doing in the American or in the Western world is um, minimizing the human family, humiliating the institution of marriage, destroying the lives of children by ruining their right to live in close proximity to both their mother and their father, asserting the right of women to have full custody of children in every circumstance and to have rights that, that, that very, very legitimately incentivize them to leave women to leave their families um and if feminism as a movement and right now it's binding itself to all kinds of other terrible movements and asserting the rights of things like things beyond lgbt rights not just lgbt rights which are a moral necessity to treat people as full human beings but things that would be part of the lgbtq lobby which includes you know, treating kids as young as 10 to 12 with cross-gender hormones leading to long-term infertility, the inability to have a sexual life. I mean, the suicide rate of people who transition is something like 20 times in terms of suicidal effectiveness when they have gone through that transition. And all that is bound up with a movement that modern feminism is a big part of. So to say you're a biblical feminist, but you're a feminist, you lend all of your cultural and moral credibility to that movement. That everything, so much that you believe about the human person, the human family, the human child, the human woman, and the human man, what you should believe if you're actually biblical, you don't believe in relationship to the movement of feminism. So I think what you should call yourself is something like an egalitarian, if that's what you are, Mm -hmm. and say, I believe in many of the dictates of feminism as originally stated, or that women should have full equality with men. But I do not think you should be using the word feminism in our cultural moment that we're Mm -hmm. in now. I think that's really important because you might be listening to this and thinking, well, feminism is also women's right to vote a long time ago. But in the current cultural moment, that's that's not all that it means. There's it. There's been. I mean, it means so much more now. And when people think of feminism, it's all wrapped into that. Yeah. And it's progressed and it never even meant that then it didn't right yes right like like the 75 percent of i think british women were against the right to vote yeah because they knew there were a set of male responsibilities mm-hmm. that were life-threatening that went along with the right to vote mm-hmm. so you had to be conscripted in the military you mm-hmm. could be pressed into military service you could be forced to in riots help the police you could be brought as young as 15 into squads that would be like 
riding posses that would go out after bandits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there were all these like life threatening male responsibilities that were fundamental to maleness that were equated with the right of the right to vote. And most women in Britain did not want those responsibilities and they thought they would have to have those responsibilities Hmm. if they had the right to vote. So they were against it. Once they realized that men would never make them have those responsibilities and they could still have the right to vote, then they decided they wanted it. And then Mm -hmm. they basically got it the next week. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was immediate. As soon as women wanted the right to vote, they Mm -hmm. got it. So even some of the history of even things like suffrage, People just don't understand the dynamics of the relationship right. between men and women. Yeah. And we don't even know what it meant then. Right. Because yeah. patriarchy, like in the way it's described in like women's studies circles in many ways, a lot of it, like it's very persuasive if you only discuss the things you want to discuss. There are many ways in which women got mm-hmm. had raw deals. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, you could probably name 50 or 60 dynamics in human society where women got the raw deal. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that unless you... D- look at all of the dynamics in the whole society, including all the ones where men got the raw deal, you're not really looking at the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And w- one of the things that I think feminism can be faulted for is undoing all the situations in which women got the raw deal without undoing many of the situations in which men got the raw deal. And so men, women end up then just getting a better deal, which isn't equality. It's yeah. tyranny actually. And so that's what a lot of, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons why there's a, a number of men, male movements right now about things like custody and mm. cause like men don't die seven or eight years before women on average because of physiological realities where we, j- our body just expires first. Mm-hmm. Men work themselves to death. They die sooner mm-hmm. because of their exertions. And that's a huge difference. That's seven years of being alive, mm-hmm. right? Women are almost 60% of all college graduates right now Hmm. in many many fields in most fields they are you know 58 percent or more of the graduates Mm -hmm. in biology it's something like 70 in in fields like sociology and psychology they're like 80 percent of graduates there's two or three where men are still the majority and that's all you ever hear about like engineering and mathematics but women are by far graduate out graduating Hmm. men Um, they tend to like fields that get paid less and they dominate those fields too. So when you aggregate them all, they make less per dollar than men if you aggregate it all together. Mm-hmm. But if you just put them like place for place with men in almost every category, they outperform them. And it's, I don't think it's because women are inherently superior. I think it's because feminism has already won, but it's going to take 50 years for us to know that, mm. right? Because all these older white men are going to have to age out and retire. Then 40 years down the road, the professional world is going to be dominated by women. And a lot of those women are not going to find adequate husbands, adequately educated mm-hmm. husbands that they want. So there's a lot of these problems. And I, I think that biblical feminists often don't realize mm-hmm. and they don't interact with any of that literature. They don't read any of those magazines. They're not, they don't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think they tend to just think, I want to advocate for the weak whoever you know whoever's being mm-hmm. oppressed i want to advocate for them and they just have a checklist in their mind and women come before men mm-hmm. and we're not done with women so we can't talk about men mm-hmm. but complementarianism is fundamentally about the complementary relationship between men and women mm-hmm. and so if you're a complementarian you would naturally say the dynamic between the men and women is the fundamental place to look mm-hmm. right and so in the church and in the home what you're shooting for is a complementary dynamic Mm-hmm. not just a liberational one for mm-hmm. either sex. Mm-hmm. Which isn't fighting for worth. Like I was thinking of in feminism, there's, there was, there might've been a gender problem where it seemed like men were 
overcoming women in a in an unhelpful and maybe unbiblical way sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then t- feminism meets that problem with another problem with just the oppressor or the oppressed becoming the oppressor, mm-hmm. um, which is the human problem. That's that we see that in a lot of different examples. Yeah. yeah. And, and really going back to this issue of like Christian women calling themselves biblical feminists, I actually think one of the best things they can do for feminism is to stop calling themselves biblical feminists hmm. because feminism will not chasten itself and edit itself until it feels the loss of support hmm. of a large swath of women. When it realizes that it's walked away from women and what they really want and it's advocating for things now that they, they don't want and that's not what they think feminism is then the public voices of feminism will either change to new voices that you can support or it will chasten the public voices to a place you can support. And so there's a number of movements that are based on ideas that I generally agree with that I don't call myself because I want to put, I want to support them a little bit, but I don't want to give my moral weight or support to them because I want them to be chastened back to a more a balanced, more focused, clearer, more inclusive view. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so I won't call myself those things because I don't want them to have my support. Mm. Yeah. Which, I, th- I mean, we haven't talked about this in the other perspective. I mean, you, you kind of touched on it, but that's a similar thing that has happened between the traditional view yeah. and the complementarian view. Moving away mm-hmm. from something that wasn't fully biblical mm-hmm. yeah. into a more biblical mm-hmm. perspective. Right, because patriarchy and traditionalism should be perfectly fine words, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Right? Pa- Patros arche just means that the that there's the pa- the father is the arche or the ruler like the, at the top of the hierarchical ladder, right? Well, that's not anti-biblical, mm-hmm. right? But when patriarchy means the father controls everything, the father doesn't consult anyone, or things are done for the father rather than he is the first to die to protect his family, mm-hmm. right? then the word loses its meaning. It loses mm-hmm. its sure. usefulness, right? Same thing with traditionalism. If your traditions are right, you want to be a traditionalist. Right. Mm-hmm. But if your traditions are bad, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be a traditionalist, right. right? So I'm a traditionalist in a lot of things. And then I'm a liberal radical in a lot of things. <laughs> it just depends on whether or not mm-hmm. the tradition mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think that some of this is just a is an effort to clarify what complementarianism yeah. is and that like there are things that complementarian theology has in common with the traditionalist view and the patriarchal view. Mm-hmm. There are also things that complementarian has in common with mm-hmm. the egalitarian view and feminism rightly yeah. understood. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has also been helpful for me in being able to understand more fully what, how to communicate what it is that I do agree with and don't agree mm-hmm. with because there there are some ways that I think complementarian is more like egalitarian than it is like the traditionalist mm-hmm. view and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's really important to understand what it is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things. And then let's do this and then move on to scriptural stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that Tim Keller says about the gospel is he says, um, when you talk about the gospel, the first thing you should contrast it with is religion or legalism that the gospel is about the grace mm-hmm. of God, not legalism. And then, right, I think, now he doesn't say this, I think you have to do this. Then then I think you need to contrast it with something like therapeutic mm. deism, like that sure. God is there, yeah. he's your daddy, he's gonna make your life go well, like it's God's job to make your life happy. And I think if you don't differentiate the gospel from both mm-hmm. a therapeutic deism, that like God isn't gonna be too involved in your life, deism, but he's going to be therapeutic. He's going to make everything wonderful for you. 
and not religion or legalism. That if you do everything right, then God will love you. Yeah, I think you've got to differentiate from both, both of those. Them. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get the gospel right. And I think similarly with complementarianism, to understand what it means, you have to differentiate it from traditional patriarchalism, right? And also an egalitarianish feminism. Mm-hmm. And w- when you differentiate from both of those, you begin to get a balanced understanding of what it really is and isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so right. I think that if you're part of a church like ours and you're going to explain complementarianism to other people, mm-hmm. I don't think you should say it's not egalitarianism or mm-hmm. just it's not traditionalism. Mm-hmm. You should say it's neither traditionalism nor egalitarianism. Yeah. Here are the ways that it's like those and here are the ways that it's yeah. distinct from those. Right. Yeah. yeah. So one resource that's really helpful uh, about the history of feminism and um, from it it's written by someone who was a feminist and it's sort of the other side of things that you might not know um, but it's called Radical Womanhood and that book has been really helpful in just laying out mm-hmm. the history of feminism if you want to look more Is into that. Carol Kent? Uh, Carolyn McCauley. Oh okay. Yeah. So we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Great. And you guys use that in the rooted yeah. class this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So what are some scriptural bases for complementarianism? Okay. So um, first, complementarity. Okay. So in Genesis 1, there is no differentiation between men and women. There is simply the statement that both the men and women are made in God's image. And mm-hmm. they are differentiated from the rest of creation, including the animals. Mm-hmm. So human beings are differentiated from all the rest of creation as male and female, both are mentioned. It literally says God created man in his image, male and female, he created them, right? In Genesis 5, it's reaffirmed. And in Genesis 9, um, near the flood, it's reaffirmed again that the death penalty is inferred upon anybody who kills a human being because all human beings are made in God's image. So all through the Bible, and that was a very revolutionary day. It was It first showed up in the Jewish Bible in our scriptures that was the first time in basically in human history that it was absolutely affirmed that both men and women were made in God's image. And that in the flow of the argument of scripture, it precedes anything else about the differentiation. Now, immediately after Genesis one in Genesis two, you get a story about the differentiation between men and women after this first Mm -hmm. statement about their equality is established. And that is that the man is created first. The woman is created as his helper is the English translation of the word gezer um, but it's important to recognize that in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, the only reference reference of that word, the only subject of that word is the woman in Genesis 2 mm-hmm. and God or idols. Mm-hmm. And so some biblical scholars have said it this way, that a helper, a gazer in this sense, is someone that you could not succeed without. Mm-hmm. They are the type of helper you have to have that is capable of turning failure into success. Mm-hmm. And without them, you will not have success. And so therefore, it makes sense that, that God would be that kind of helper, right? God is the helper that you're going to fail without him, and with him you'll succeed, right? And so in all these places, it says, you know, like, God was our helper when we came out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right. God was our helper when we faced this. God was our mm-hmm. helper when, or, or against idols. Who is your helper? Will these idols help be your helper, mm-hmm. right? And so that word is the word applied to the woman when the woman mm-hmm. is created. And so... The idea, so in English, it's fairly clumsy because helper means we think of like little kids like being our little helper or like people who we call like our assistants or whatever. Be like, oh, you can help me. And then you just tell them what to do and they just do it. And they're like at a lower pay grade than you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's really not what this word seems to mean. It seems to mean when God saw Adam alone, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. 
he thinks of the creation mandate to fill the world and subdue it. Mm -hmm. And he realized Adam can't succeed. Like literally, Mm -hmm. there's no uteruses in this equation. Like you can't Mm -hmm. fill the earth. Mm -hmm. Adam can't fill the Mm -hmm. earth. He literally can't do it. And he can't subdue the earth by himself. Mm -hmm. He just can't do any of that. And so he can't multiply. He can't reproduce. Mm -hmm. He has, he'll be alone. He can't, right? He'll need this. So the woman is made as this one whom he can't succeed without, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms of complementarity, you have the woman who's different, who is, who comes later in the narrative, who has a different role than him. There's all kinds of differences between them. And yet she is labeled this gazer, this, or this person that you, that you can't live without. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's important in terms of complementary mm-hmm. that the woman is not just created equal in Genesis one, five and nine and affirmed later in the Bible, but she's also the word, the word helper itself, which we sometimes think is the word that demotes woman mm-hmm. is actually one of the, the, one of the words that explain the nature of the complementarity that without mm-hmm. her, he can't succeed. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that would be true vice versa as well. Right. Yeah. And so that is sort of the basis of this idea of complementarity. Now the issue of role differentiation, right. That we talk about in the marriage and in um, the church mm-hmm. are outlined more specifically when you get a church in the new Testament, right. mm-hmm. specifically in, um, for the church, it's in the pastoral epistles because of the most specific explanations of how the church is supposed to function. That's first and second Timothy and Titus. And then in Ephesians and Colossians are the most specific statements about the nature of how the gospel works itself out in marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's very specifically Ephesians five and first Timothy chapter two tend to be the watershed passages for all of this, mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. you could bring in others. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, um, in Ephesians 5 that it talks about is the relationship between a woman and her husband in uh, the context of submission. And in the book that Jill mentioned before, Radical Womanhood, the author, I had never heard this before, but the author talked about, she posed the question, when was submission created? When was that relationship Mm -hmm. created? And she said, well, it never was created because it's always existed in the Trinity that there are ways in which the father or the son submits to the father, not because they don't have equal worth they do have equal worth but just because of the nature of the roles that they have in the three persons of the trinity have you heard that explained before or used before in this conversation yeah i i think that's really i think it ends up being a really important point because we tend to have a negative connotation surrounding submission right right Mm -hmm. and yet it's yeah submission has existed from eternity past as a good in the character of god right mm-hmm. we so, see jesus when he's praying in the garden that he's submitting to the will of the father right not because he's not as equal as the father in terms of his worth and value in the mm-hmm. trinity but because he's the son and god is the father and that's those are the roles they have right yeah right mm-hmm. absolutely i think i think that's why mary Kayson in that thing i read at the very beginning says both genders are made to express different different things about Jesus. complimentary truths about Jesus truths about Jesus yeah because and but also when you get to Ephesians 5 right Paul talks about mm-hmm. men and women in marriage at least representing Christ in the church mm-hmm. and um, it is it is very important for the world to have a expression of the church mm-hmm. and submission is in, in some ways the biggest calling of every human being mm-hmm. submitting to God Mm-hmm. submitting to the mm-hmm. one who loved you and ruled you and saved mm-hmm. you and all of sin is not submitting to God. And so the issue of submission, mm-hmm. giving yourself entirely to the service of the right thing mm-hmm. and the right one 
in some ways you could say like that's a whole faith. Like that's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so for women to feel, I can understand entirely why women feel like discussions of submission feel derogatory, right? Oh, he gets to lead and I'm supposed to submit. That's just stupid. Right. On one level, like I totally get that right Mm -hmm. on another level. Yeah. Except that's all we're doing is submitting in the whole, our our whole lives. And so you get to mirror what we are all doing. Like we're all supposed mm-hmm. to practice, look at you honestly. to yeah. figure out yeah. what the heck we're all doing. Yeah. Right. And, sense? and you, and we're going to get to this and maybe we'll get to it right now about the dangers of complementarianism. But that is, that is one of them is that sometimes mm-hmm. that is used in abusive ways, mm-hmm. but not always. It isn't yeah. necessarily by definition used in abusive ways. And some yeah. of what we have to do is sort that out and figure out. That yeah. I mean, out. I think one way that you can say human flourishing happens when submission is happening correctly. Right. Right. So you could say the 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 boorish man could say, ha ha. So things will go best when you, my wife, submit to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. True. Hmm. Who's the next step up on the hierarchy? Right. Well, Jesus and the husband. Right. So now, yes, things will flourish if the husband is submitting to Jesus. And then Jesus is submitting to the father. So things will work well. So there's not a problem with Jesus submitting to the father. But that's that's always been working. Okay. Right. The question is, mm-hmm. it, what about the submission relationship between Jesus and the man, the husband, in the case of marriage, and then between the husband and the wife? Now, mm-hmm. which one of those, if it breaks down, is going to be the most horrifically detrimental to the functioning of flourishing? Well, probably whichever is higher up on the hierarchy. The higher mm-hmm. you get the hierarchy, the more the higher your corruption is in the hierarchy, the worse things are going to be for everything below it in the hierarchy, right? So the relationship of submission between the husband and the Christ is fundamental. What's the only thing that can cure the corruption of a lack of submission between the husband and the Christ. The change in the husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, sanctification I don't know if you mean in change him. in the husband or change of the husband. Oh, I mean, no, okay. like a change. No, oh, I mean, of like a change in his heart, yeah, a change so in his submission to Jesus in the husband growing. And yeah. in situations before that happens, it would be a wife having to say, I can't submit to you because I have to submit to your boss who you're not submitting right. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things I've had discussions with Lexi about this and others about like, what principle do we give women by which they know when they're not supposed to submit? Mm-hmm. Is it just whenever their husband isn't being godly? And my response is no. I think the best way to look at this is you don't submit to your husband whenever you're, whenever you're choosing between your husband and Jesus. Mm, right. If you are actually yeah. going to choose between your husband and Jesus, you have to submit to your greater boss, yeah, which is Jesus, not your husband, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to. I would. You could. Say, I literally say to him, "Honey, I feel like right now I'm being asked to choose to submit to Jesus or you. Mm-hmm. And this, you and me, this works so much better when I am submitting to you because I'm submitting to Jesus mm-hmm. too, and submitting to hit the Father. That's really when I'm good. submitting to the Father, to Jesus, and then you. And I see a direct lineup. Me submitting is easy." You'll never have to ask me to. But if I see the Father, Jesus, and then not you, <laughs> and then you're over here telling me to do this thing, yeah. then I'm I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. And I have to obey, just like Peter and John said to the magistrates, am I going to obey you or God? Mm-hmm. Normally I would obey you. Mm-hmm. But if you force me to choose between obeying you and God, well, I'm going to obey God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in that sense, I think wives best disobey their husbands when they do so because they must obey Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And then I think it's, I mean, it's the same basic principle when I would disobey the government. Mm-hmm. They have the right authority over me. I should obey them. But there are times I won't obey them. And I'm at my best, mm-hmm. not when I think the lo- the rules are stupid, yeah. but when I'm really in a situation mm-hmm. where I can, where I either have to obey God or them. Mm-hmm. Something else that Carolyn McCauley, the author of Radical Womanhood, brought up in her book is that, in, re- in reference to Ephesians 5, is that it's talking about husbands and wives. And so that it's not talking about women submitting to all men who are not their husbands. Yes. So I'd be interested about if you have something to say about that. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why, you know, choose your husbands carefully, right? Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, that is fundamental. Women are not called to submit to all men. Mm -hmm. They're called to submit to their husbands. Mm -hmm. I think there's something to to talk about here really briefly, because some people will read Ephesians 5, and biblical feminists, as they would call themselves egalitarians, will say, Nick, don't you remember that verse 21 in Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And they say, don't you see that the main point here is that you should, we should all be submitting to one another. One example of this is wives could submit to their husbands, right? Um, but shouldn't husbands also submit to their wives if we're all submitting to one another? And on one level, that's true. In complementarianism, husbands will often submit to their wives because, it's, because they're dealing with an area where their wife has more expertise. Mm-hmm. It's just time to take your wife's turn because it's just an issue of preference. You've tried your idea and it's not working. Mm-hmm. And so it's time to try hers. There's mm-hmm. lots of reasons why a husband will go with his wife's opinion, even though they both agree of a relationship of leadership and submission in the home, mm-hmm. right? Like there are so few situations. I mean, I've been married 20 years to my wife and we've believed this our whole marriage. Mm-hmm. And... Most of the time, Alexi has been willing to submit to me. And I have said, baby, I just need you to, I just need you to go with me on this one. Will you willingly submit to me? I mean, I've said that three or four times in our whole life together. Because either she's just glad to do it. Or I want her to be happy and I'm not going to tell her to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And we have fairly differentiated roles. And so I don't get involved in her domains, you know, and so that all works. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she, she's in charge of something happening. And so she'll tell me what to do, not because she rejects my leadership, but because in this area, now she has to lead because functionally she's over this thing. So mm-hmm. I have to take right. off my leader hat and put on my servant hat and right. say, okay, tell me how I can help you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then part yeah. of that is she tells me what to do. Like when we clean the house, for example, right. mm-hmm. she makes a list. I say, tell me what to do. And right. she tells me what to do, not because she rejects my leadership, but because she's leading this. I want to jump in briefly. Another yeah. example, when Luca was young, really young, we had a whole conversation about this where like I was spending more time with him. I had a better understanding of what rhythms he needed in right. terms mm-hmm. of when he should wake up and when we should let him cry and when we should feed him and all those things. And so we had a very, I mean, we talked about it and it was just, it, we agreed that in that area, that was going to be my domain for as long as we felt like that was the right choice. Now we're getting into more discipline and that's shifting and changing. But um, it, it was it was a, a point where we knew I was going to just be the person that we deferred to in that area of our yeah. family for that time being. Yeah. And he wouldn't override you if he felt like something was really wrong. He right. might question you. Yeah. Right. But and he, say, are you sure? Are you sure mm-hmm. that we shouldn't let him cry right now? Right. But, but, but he was, in the decision making, mm-hmm. he would submit to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, t- I think that's a healthy version mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it believes in the full competence of women. 
Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. I had a friend who was saying something about, and now come to find out this isn't exactly what she meant, but I've heard comments like this before where she had said things like, Oh, my, my professor says all the time that he and his wife are egalitarian and how his wife is so much smarter than him. And I I just think that's such a a Mm. simple and incorrect view of complementarian theology and and egalitarian theology. And my, and Scott himself has said the same thing where he thinks that I'm smarter than him, but that doesn't mean that I'm in charge or that I have more value Mm -hmm. or that I have more worth. None yeah, of that is well, true. Mm-hmm. And also, that's a terrible way to think about how men and women should behave together because yeah. very few women will marry a man they do not think is at least their equal, if not their superior. Mm. Women want to marry men who they respect their capacities greatly. Mm-hmm. And so most women, even if they marry men that they think that they are cognitively smarter than, they still marry men that they think are stronger than them in some key oh, area yeah, where they yeah, want their covering and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to say... Well, one of the reasons this works is because my wife is better than me, Mm -hmm. right? Well, then you're different than like a 90% of humanity. So we can't normalize what you're doing, Mm -hmm. right? Most women marry husbands that they find very formidable creatures. And so that's not going to work, right? And yet, like I don't, like when we go shopping Mm -hmm. for groceries, like I just keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Because I don't know how much this costs there yeah. and this costs here and this costs there. And that, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't try because Lexi has the requisite ex- expertise. Mm-hmm. And wherever yeah. that's true, right. a smart husband says, right, just like a smart boss turns to his expert. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I don't I don't change HVAC units. I turn to Paul right. and say, mm-hmm. Paul, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. in the home, I think it, it's things like that. You end up breaking things down into expertises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. related to the church, mm-hmm. the, before we go into the mm-hmm. possible yes. dangers yes. in relationship to the church, um, first Timothy two tends to be the main thing. Okay. Well, sorry. We didn't, I didn't even say the thing about Ephesians five. So oh. Ephesians five oh. verses right. 21 related to others. Yeah. Um, that's a bad interpretation. The idea that because mm-hmm. they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's a bad interpretation to say that that's the general teaching and the rest is examples. That's not the way this functions. First of all, in terms of historical writings, this is what's called a family code, and it describes the structuring of a family. And so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ means in the cases of husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. And there are hierarchical relationships in each of those, because you wouldn't say, well, shouldn't parents submit to their children? Well, there right. are some remote kinds of situations in which parents submit to their children, but that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying mm-hmm. is if the home is to be ordered properly, Mm-hmm. children have to submit to their parents as the structure as a fundamental yeah. structure mm-hmm. and parents have authority over their children mm-hmm. and in the master slave or master servant relationship the household servant the master of the house the people who own the house have authority over the servants and the servants should respect and submit to that authority right it's the exact same language exact same verbs exact same dynamics exact same sentence structure when it says wives submit yourself your husband to your husbands mm-hmm. now some people have made much of the verb to submit yourself it's usually translated submit yourself rather than submit to your husbands, not just because they try to soften the language so that women aren't as angry about it, but because in the Greek it's in what's called the passive tense. But it's also in for that verb to submit the passive and the, what's called the middle in Greek is, I think it's called the, I can't remember if it's the mood or it's one of the words about like how the word is structured mm-hmm. and written. The passive and the middle have the same spelling. So the middle is what's called reflexive. It's something you do to yourself. So Mm -hmm. the reflexive of submit would be submit yourself. 
That is, you choose to do it. You submit yourself to your husbands. Now, the problem is, is the passive wives submit to your husbands. It's the same spelling, Hmm. right? Now, it might be the same spelling because there's no difference in that word. Maybe maybe in Greek at that time, they didn't see any difference between submitting Hmm. yourself and submitting. In modern times, we see a huge difference. Right, yeah. Because women submit to your husbands is a direct command that you should do and can be enforced if you don't want to do it. Submit yourselves is reflexive, which means the only person who has the responsibility to enforce this command is you, right? I actually don't think there's a lot of hay there exegetically. What it means is, is that wives are to submit to their husbands. And of course they are supposed to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. What's your other, what's your alternative? Yeah. Right. I mean, the Bible is very much against the abusive action towards wives, right? In first Peter, it says, don't be harsh with your wives or God won't listen to your prayers, mm-hmm. right? So God will defend the place of your wife. And if you are harsh with her, God will take her side basically in everything mm-hmm. and nothing you pray will matter, mm-hmm. right? And harshness there would include violence, but it would include just meanness and harshness. Whenever you're mean or harsh with your wife, God takes her side. Just like when you don't care about the poor and you treat them like they're nothing, God takes their side, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean God doesn't love people with money and only loves the poor, some people interpret it really weird like that. Sure. Like God only cares about the poor against the rich. No. There is a relationship of leadership and submission between the rich and the poor. And when you despise the poor, he takes their side. Mm-hmm. And when, you just, when you're harsh with your wife, he takes their side. Naturally in the structure because he cares about justice. Right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, whether it's reflexive or not, whether it's submit yourselves or submit to your husbands, it doesn't matter. The wife still has to be the person who chooses to do it. The, the point of Ephesians 5 is not who makes who do what. Mm-hmm. The point is if you are going to live according to the gospel, chapters 1 to 3, right, and live in unity, chapter 4, and live into full maturity, chapter second half of chapter 4, then you have to embrace godliness. Mm-hmm. And godliness in the relational nature of the homes between husbands and wives is a relationship of leadership and submission. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So in relationship to First Timothy 2, do you guys have any comments on that before we go on to the next thing? No, Sorry. no, that was good. So in First Timothy two, there's there's a longer section. There's a great discussion of this in Claire Smith's book. If you want to read more about this, this is one of those verses that people feel like can't possibly mean what it plainly says, hmm. but it does exactly say what it plainly says, which is that in the gathered church, we should want the church to function in such a way as to bless our society, and to have a functional godliness so that we can all grow in Christ as we worship together. The context is worshiping together, right? And so first is you don't want the government coming in from the outside and attacking you. And so what they should see when they come and what we should care about is that we should pray for every governing official, right? And it says, because God wants everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So pray for all the people who aren't at church, including the governmental people, right? And then it says, I want men to lift up holy hands in prayer and not arguing and bickering with each other. Right. So men should not engage in self-promotion through battling for dominance. Instead, they should come in unity to each other and pray together. Right. And then it says, I want women addressed modestly, not with braided hair, or fancy jewelry. It braided hair in that context doesn't mean what you do before the gym. It means an ornamental braiding that usually has jewelry kind of put into it. And only people who had slaves or could pay money for that kind of embroidered hair could do that. So having your hair, quote, braided in that sense meant differentiating yourself. Because that's what immodesty is. Immodesty is differentiating differentiating yourself 
for a non-legitimate reason, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in the church, the only right of differentiation between people is godliness, right? Right. And so then the men usually fight for immodest dominance, right? In this case, the example given for women is women, the way women fight for immodest dominance is by being prettier and looking richer than everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're not to do that, right? And then he gets to the section on teaching and he says, I want women to... to learn in quietness and in submission. Mm-hmm. I don't allow women to teach or have authority over a man. Right. And it goes on to some stuff about Genesis and so on. And I don't think we should get into a full exegesis here because <laughs> we want to get this other thing. But I've studied, I have studied that passage for, I cannot tell you how many hours in the original languages. I've done the TLG searches, which is all of the Greek for a thousand years and how that would relate vocabulary wise to that. And mm-hmm. there are a couple kind of interesting interpretive things because the word authority is not, the word used everywhere else in the New Testament for authority, it's only used there. Hmm. And so there's been some speculation that it's like a nasty kind of authority or a murderous kind of authority, a domineering kind. But the word authority and teaching are separated. Mm-hmm. It's not authoritative, nasty authority teaching. It's neither to teach nor to have authority. And so that the verse just says what it seems to. Hmm. That the teaching offices of the church and the leadership offices of the church are reserved for men. And then if you read, you keep reading, right? It's It says in chapter three, it gives all the requirements for an elder. And then in chapter five, it differentiates two different kinds of elders, one who teaches mm-hmm. and one who leads or has authority. And so you can see that there's like the context of First Timothy 2 is connected directly to First Timothy 3, what an elder is. Mm-hmm. And then teaching and having authority is the two roles of elders in chapter five. Mm-hmm. And so what you can see is, is the argument that's being made here is not, this isn't just a general prohibition of women speaking in church, mm-hmm. right? It is that there is a office called elder of leadership in the church that does the authoritative teaching, what we call preaching. The, mm-hmm. this is what we all believe together, doctrinal, theological mm-hmm. preaching and the authority, right? Church disciplines mainly, mm-hmm. right? And those two things are, have a locus in this office called elder, and elders should be plural, not one person whenever mm-hmm. possible, right? There's a plurality of elders. And they do that judging, the judging of doctrine and teaching and the mm-hmm. judging of, of people mm-hmm. in terms of the credibility of their profession of faith and the discipline they may require if they fall into sin. Mm-hmm. That work of judging is reserved for the elders. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are other places in which women are given scopes of teaching in the church that are different, like, for example, in prophetic words. Words of prophecy and encouragement in First Corinthians 11. Women are encouraged to come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you say something yeah so I was going to say, functionally, at our church, what that looks like is that the office of elder is reserved for men. But yeah. things that non-elders engage in at our church, a woman would be fully capable of doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we have some people who preach really regularly, and we reserve that role for mainly for pastors at our church. But we do have guest preachers who are not elders of our church or not pastors of our church. And we have had women preach in that setting at our church. In my, in the nine years I've been here, we've only had Mm -hmm. one. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's partly because I think it's wrong to do something and then explain it Mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. I think it's very disruptive to them. And so I don't think I've seen churches do this where they'll start having women teachers and they won't say anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say, we're changing our view. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to create that kind of turmoil for people. Yeah. And so we didn't, we wanted to like teach the church and then do the practice. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so one of, you know, one of the questions we asked ourselves is if this is our view, we, we have people who are not elders preach. Right. Mm-hmm. So if anything that's not the work of an elder can be, women should be invited to do also. Mm-hmm. In what situations should we invite women to preach? And so you, you can actually look at our preaching schedule and see how many times mm-hmm. non-elders have preached, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody like Vince, for example, was not an elder, right? He did have an MDiv. He had full theological training, right? But there's lots of women with PhDs mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. theology, right? And then he preached, I think, three or four times in a year. So yep. one of the things we grappled with was how many teaching times teaching right. accounts to a teaching ministry yeah. in preaching, right? Now, there are some complementary. This is an area of disagreement within complementarianism, right? Because somebody like John Piper would say... Um, Preaching is always the work of an elder. Mm-hmm. Right. And so his solution would be quit having preachers that aren't elders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The church that Scott and I were part of in the cities, that was their view as well. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's at least cons- fully consistent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in our situation, the question is, well, which should we do? Should we say, well, we have people who aren't elders who preach. So we should be open to inviting women to preach in those kinds of slots. Mm-hmm. Right. Or should we quit having non-elders preach mm-hmm. right um, and right now what we've decided to do is to say the argument that preaching can only be done by an elder is not easy to find in the bible mm-hmm. you could say that a, a man first timothy 2 says a man must teach or have authority if man there really means elder contextually then he paul only permits an elder to preach and have authority and so therefore preaching is only elders right you could argue that. I, I think that's a reasonable argument. I don't know if it's a deductive argument or an absolute argument, and there isn't much said elsewhere in the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. Women are encouraged to speak prophetically in 1 Corinthians 11, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure the context there is only like predictive prophetic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a message of encouragement for the church. Mm-hmm. I think the difference between what's called prophecy in 1 Corinthians 11 and teaching in 1 Timothy 2 is the context in 1 Corinthians 14 is, is that every prophecy is judged by the others. The church is told, yes, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a secondary act of judgment of the prophecy mm-hmm. that comes. It's under right? authority. Right. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. that doesn't happen with preaching. Mm-hmm. The preacher just preaches. And it's assumed that that's under the authority of the teaching of the mm-hmm. church. Right. So I've struggled this some because yeah. like mm-hmm. I can see the validity in Piper's argument. Mm-hmm. I can see, but I can also see the validity in... I don't want to be, obviously I, like I was raised in a feminist world. I don't want to be an ounce more restrictive towards women mm-hmm. than scripture is in terms of these roles. Right. right? Because yeah. it's, it's, it can be harmful and off putting. And if God intends for women to do it and you don't let them, you are impoverishing yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're diminishing your flourishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet at the same time, if I just say, because I'm a feminist at heart, well, we're just going to have women do it because we should just do it then. But if I am not respecting the roles God has built into his church and into the genders, I'm limiting our flourishing too. Mm-hmm. And so, but what, like I've said a, a number of times, and you guys have heard me said this, being conservative is not the same thing as being faithful. Mm-hmm. Like if you have two mm-hmm. things, you're not sure which is right. right. Just doing the conservative thing isn't going to save you. That's what the Pharisees mm-hmm. did. Every time mm-hmm. there was a question, they picked the more conservative of the two options because they wanted to build a fence around the law. Better not to be even close to offending God. Mm-hmm. But what Jesus told them was in trying to not offend God, you have chosen not to do a lot of things God said to do. And so you've offended God. Mm-hmm. Right. So over and over again, I've tried to make it clear to our staff and our church, choosing to be conservative, to be safe, isn't any safer right. than choosing to be liberal, to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
right? Right. And so we have struggled with this a, a decent yeah. amount. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that if we are, I always think that we're safer with the Lord when we do everything he does explicitly say. And we're, we choose to have the courage to do what he really says. Yeah. And the differentiation within the home and the differentiation on the elder board, I think is very clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly what should be done in the pulpit in every church, I think is less clear. Mm-hmm. And so I am less authoritative about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, so one of the things we wanted to talk about were the dangers of complementarianism. Mm-hmm. One of them that you have listed here is defending complementarianism complementarianism zealously but failing to live it out beautifully and I think this conversation really speaks to that and that we don't we're not claiming that we've always gotten that right here at high point but that we are trying to get to a point where we are as um aligned with the bible Mm -hmm. as possible and allowing women to use gifts as much as possible as well and not limiting them and not not restricting them when not when that's not necessary Mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that yes um, and I think part of, but, and I still don't even think we think about this, right? It's so hard to, in our culture, like in first Timothy two, it says that women will be saved through childbearing in that mm-hmm. context. And you're just, people just have like a aneurysm when they read that. Mm-hmm. And I, but I would like, if you try to make sense of what the verse actually means, it seems like the apostle Paul is saying something like we both have to, we all have to embrace our roles. And one of the fundamental and absolute roles that only women have is the creation of new life. And sometimes we forget how like absolutely important that is until the human race mm-hmm. starts going extinct. Mm-hmm. Because like if people stop doing that, the whole thing is over. You don't have a church if you don't have humans. <laughs> Just like you don't have a church if you don't have good leadership. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that Paul would say that there's one thing distinct to masculinity. And that is in the case of the home and the church, there should be this leadership, this taking of responsibility and, and being prepared to do what it takes. Right. And similarly, there's one thing women absolutely have to do. And that is to embrace the natural fertility of femininity and to bring forth a new life. And if you do these two things, if men will lead their homes and the church, and if women embrace as part of their roles, Mm-hmm. the role that only they can do, which is the willingness to be fertile, which women have always wanted to reject, just as men have always wanted to reject good leadership. Mm-hmm. They've always wanted the benefits of it without the responsibilities. And childbearing is very similar. Like mm-hmm. any woman would love to have the benefits without the liabilities, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yet in both cases, the man and the woman have to mm-hmm. embrace the responsibilities the joys and the liabilities of what is fundamentally distinctive for them. And I, I also think that if we respect our children and what our children need from us, there is always going to be a sense in which women will have to be closer to the children, especially in early mm-hmm. life. And I don't think there's any way around that. And what that's going to do is restrict their time. Mm-hmm. It's going to restrict their stresses. It's going to restrict them in certain ways that they just don't have the time and energy to fool in certain domains. And I think someone, when they really accept that, they don't want anything to do mm-hmm. with like being an elder. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's similarly to like when women like work for a decade and then they get married and their husband makes enough for them to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those women, sometimes they really like miss work if they had a really great job. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of women are kind of like working sucked. Like it's not fun. It's stressful. It's thankless. It's, I love not working. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like I, sometimes I tell Lexi cause she hasn't worked for a long time now. And, 
outside the home looking to yeah. remunerate your job. And I have, and she's sometimes she's, she's like, I don't want anything to do with that. And sometimes she's like, I kind of wish I had a job. Mm-hmm. She goes back and forth. I think yeah. a lot of women do. Right. Yeah. But I, I keep reminding her, I'm like, sweetie, yes, you're jealous of the fun stuff I do at work. You listen to the podcast and you're like, you just sit around and talk with Jill and Nicole, you know, a microphone. <laughs> like, how hard can that be? Like, I'm here dealing with our teenagers. And I'm like, yeah, but like, then I poured over these budgets and I had to do all this, you know, math work to figure out the blah, blah, blah for the HVAC. And then I had to do church discipline on this marriage that was falling. Like, baby, you don't want anything to do with what I have to do at work. Mm. And she goes, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Mm. So I, I think that there is something to the nature mm-hmm. of if women are going to embrace fertility mm-hmm. and we're really going to care for our children, truly care for our children, there is a fundamental unchangeable limitation that puts on women and enormous amount of stress it puts on mm-hmm. them. And there's a lot of stress in leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a certain grace to differentiating those in roles and responsibilities and costs that may be a blessing that we just can't even think through now because we think so feministically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And seeing seeing childbearing and and ch- raising children as leadership too. That's a, you've mentioned domains, like there's different domains, but there is authority and leadership in that domain too. But in our current culture, it's, that's been diminished. Like yeah. we're disciple as a mother, I am discipling my children. Right. Which is huge. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge job. Timothy, right. To, yeah. like, Paul gets a free minister who's already ready because of the ministry of his mother mm-hmm. and his grandmother. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the argument with made with elders too, somebody could easily and truly say, yeah, but most elders, if they really are elders, which the Bible does assume these will be older men. They're probably empty nesters and like mm-hmm. there's probably plenty of godly women, empty nesters who do have the time mm-hmm. to be involved yeah. in the governance of the church. And that's true. Yeah, that's true. And we can't get in all the dynamics right. that right yeah. now. So I, let's yeah. focus on the, on the time we've got left on the dangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we've talked through a little bit about defending the, it, but failing to live it out beautifully. Yep. Yeah. Another one that um, you have on here is failing to distinguish complementarianism from hierarchicalism and patriarchic. <laughs> And um, those, what I think of when, um, for what you have there, is the issue of um, contextualization. And it can feel like contextualizing to our culture and making our faith seem more appealing to just say I'm egalitarian. Or to to make it look like, or explain it in a way that we are, um, that roles are equal as worth, as a worth question. Um, But I think that... contextualization is actually meeting people's questions with what Jesus actually says and being able to explain it well. And so that gets back to being able to explain complementarianism from traditionalism and from egalitarianism and seeing, saying where they are similar in both ways and where they're different Mm -hmm. Uh, and actually answering the question instead of making it sound good. Yeah. I mean, I I think the defense of that one is what we said before about how you have to distinguish it between not just from egalitarianism, yep. but from traditionalism. Because mm-hmm. if some complementarianisms, complementarians basically say egalitarianism is wrong, mm-hmm. complementarianism is right. And what the average person, like the biblical feminist you were talking right. about, what they hear is patriarchalism is right. Mm-hmm. That's yes. what they hear. Because it's all lumped hearts. into right. one. It's all mm-hmm. one to them. And so, yeah, I think you have to be really careful about yeah. distinguishing it from hierarchalism and mm-hmm. patriarchalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit. We haven't talked much about stereotyping gender roles. You said mm-hmm. that listed that as one of the dangers. Right. And uh, I think it'd be good to talk about this, especially because I think there are some ways in my marriage where Scott and I 
neither of us fully fit into mm-hmm. gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And also in some ways we very you totally much, do. We totally do. Ways. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you have a lot more words than Scott, for example, for example, <laughs> and tears. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, um, that a number of people have pointed out is that in the Bible, you do have this fairly clear dis- differentiation between these two gender roles. It, but very little explicitly taught about the distinction between maleness and femaleness or masculinity and femininity. Um, there are a few things that seem to intimate some things like uh, there's in Deuteronomy 22, I think verse five, there's a, there's a statement that men and women should males should not wear women's clothing. Um, that there should be a differentiation in the way we do adorn and clothe ourselves. Um, but it doesn't even say what that is. Mm-hmm. It, it assumes something already, mm-hmm. right? Um, there, the description of the noble prince in Proverbs 30 versus the epilogue of the noble wife in Proverbs 31, there's very significant differences in mm-hmm. what's highlighted there. And you could take from that certain things that the, that the noble wife is focused on the building up of her house, whereas the male figure is pointed more outward to the society mm-hmm. and that there's a society pointedness to the male and a homeward pointedness of the female um, in that context. And that that's how you live within the tribe of humanity, that the man is supposed to be more the statesman, but it doesn't ever say in those texts, this is normative. Mm-hmm. It just says, this is what a noble prince is not even a husband, but a prince. So how specifically that relates to husband, right. you're making mm-hmm. some assumptions and then you have the noble wife, right? But the noble wife is also an entrepreneur and she's buying stuff mm-hmm. outside the home and she's she's right. going out of the home and coming back. And so, and she's also quite wealthy, mm-hmm. which doesn't apply mm-hmm. to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also has an amazing physiological constitution too. Like she goes to bed after dark and wakes up before <laughs> someone. <laughs> yeah, no. like, I don't understand that. That doesn't <laughs> go with Nicole. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that so, works. Um, so anyway, there's there is actually mm-hmm. very little said about this is what a woman should do and this is what a man should do. Mm-hmm. Very little said about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's very easy to say, well, if that if those buckets are empty, but we have these role differentiation differentiations asserted in the Bible, see, this is what traditionalism would do. Traditionalism right. says, mm-hmm. let's fill those buckets with our traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so therefore, complementarianism becomes traditionalism. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Now you can do this the feminist way too. Right, you can say there's no differences. That the, you can't put anything in those buckets. Mm-hmm. Those buckets have to stay empty. Mm-hmm. That's probably just as bad. Well, no, I think it's just as bad. Probably just as mm-hmm. bad. Just I don't know, but it's bad. Mm-hmm. The issue of like, okay, the Bible says this. Something goes in these two buckets. Let's not confuse the two, and mm-hmm. let's be very careful about mm-hmm. figuring out what goes in them, mm-hmm. and yeah. then realizing there's going to be a lot of overlap because within male right. and femaleness, there's a lot of temperamental differences and so on. Right. Mm-hmm. I think one confusion that I I think either feminism or traditionalism, either end of the spectrum, could fall into is mistaking role and with personality trait or something that is not inherent to male or female. Yeah. But and maybe typically there's it tends toward one or the other gender, but yeah. there are these personality traits. That's just part of being made in the image of God or that's on the, yeah. the aside, general level. Yeah. Aside from plumbing, like literally women have uteruses mm-hmm. and different physiologies yeah. and men have, I thought you meant like plumbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only no, plumbers I mean, literally can be. besides <laughs> yes. like yes. Yes. genitals and fertility stuff. Yes. Um, and certain like phenotypical things in our body structures. Mm-hmm. When you turn to like personality psychology and you say, or physiology say what is the difference between men and women 
from there, virtually everything is is spectrum based. Right. Yeah. So, for example, if you take like a hand squeezing device, which can you squeeze as hard as you can in it, like will put down like how many pounds of squeezing mm-hmm. you can do, and you chart men and women. Um, there's some overlap in the top ten percent of women and the bottom ten percent of men. Mm-hmm. Better than that, they're completely differentiated. Mm-hmm. Men, all, almost all men, can squeeze harder than almost all women. Mm-hmm. Just physical strength. Men are fifty percent stronger. Women's skin is something like fifty percent softer. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why w- babies like them better, right? Mm-hmm. Our voice frequencies are different, and children respond to them in very different ways, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at like neuroticism, like how much negative emotion you have. Right. Women tend to have significantly more negative emotion. Now, that doesn't mean merely that women are, quote, more neurotic. It just means they pay attention more to risks. Like what's going on? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Whereas men tend to be more hyper focused on achieving certain other things and they don't quite have as much. Now, but you can find huge overlaps. Right. Women who are Mm -hmm. not high in neuroticism, men who are quite high in neuroticism, for example. Same thing with openness or all the fundamental personality traits. Entrepreneurship, if you break down like why people work into several categories, you'll get women who are high in two, men who are high in two, one that's basically a wash. There's all these Mm -hmm. differentiations. Mm -hmm. Right. One of of the huge ways men and women are different is how they emotionally respond to sexuality. Mm -hmm. Like men have way fewer deep psychological negative responses to promiscuity and women are devastated by it. Mm. Even women who say they like it, say they're for it, say sure. there shouldn't be any different. Even women, if you, if you just look at athletic high testosterone women, so the women who you think like functionally would be the most hormonally like men and who behave in male functional domains, they say the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I got these, and then I got abandoned. Like, I they don't say, then I got out of it. They say, then he abandoned me. Right. <laughs> and so women just don't. You can like brainwash them. Mm-hmm. They will still feel abandoned and hurt and mm-hmm. broken and right. And so um, there are these differences, but they're almost all overlapping. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. differences of distribution, not yeah, distri- not fundamental differences right. of mm-hmm. a versus you know binary differences of right. zero or mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so because of that, every combination of a man and a woman mm-hmm. are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And so every couple has a lot of stuff to sort out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that one of the things you wrote here is that it's really important to see that putting those spectrums in the place of roles is beyond what the yes. Bible does. Right. Yes. And that's why, okay, mm-hmm. this, this may, I don't even know if you guys will agree with this, but I, I think <laughs> that this is true based on human nature. Because of that, nobody is a pure complementarian. It's like you're a complementarian egalitarian or a complementarian mm. traditionalist mm-hmm. because sure. you are going to sort out roles. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so how are you going to do it? And if complementarianism doesn't sort it out for you, how are you going to sort it out? Do you right. start with, well, there's no differentiations. Okay. So what specific exact person are you and what specific exact person yeah. am I? And, how, and let's work it all, all based on that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, men and women are pretty similar. And they've had mm-hmm. pretty stable roles throughout a lot of history. And mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of wisdom built into that. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should, you know, do some of that, right? That's right. essentially a light traditionalism. I think a lot of modern couples are just, they're, they're coming up with some mishmash of mm-hmm. egalitarianism and traditionalism mm-hmm. under the banner of the right. direction of complementarianism. Yeah. I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. I see that in our marriage. Yeah, I sure. see that too. I mm-hmm. see ways where we want to be 
like where there are certain roles that we want to align more with to the traditionalist view, but our giftings naturally are just different. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we find yep. ourselves more in the egalitarian and we wrestle with that too. Like we, we have to wrestle out how we feel about that Yeah, because yeah. it's not always great. Yeah. yeah. So, and the important yeah. thing in that is you have to pick roles at some point yeah. for your, for your marriage to thrive. And so right. it is a question of how are you exactly going to do that? But also, right. just pr- functionally, that's how a marriage does thrive. When you're doing things that are aligned with your strength, things that you c- the other person can't do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you develop skills, right? Yeah. Life is full of skills, mm-hmm. and you develop those skills. Mm-hmm. And that helps, mm-hmm. right? And it's exhausting to, like, every Fight time about a kid every is time. going to bed, <laughs> you have to decide who's doing it. Yeah. yeah. Or every time you clean the house or vacuum a rug, mm-hmm. you have to, like... Well, we're egalitarian, so let's flip a coin, you know? <laughs> and then what that leads to is scorekeeping. Yeah. And the yes. scorekeeping yeah. and the resentment that flows out of scorekeeping can itself just, just that can destroy a marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it's usually having traditions and choices mm-hmm. is extremely helpful with men and women. And men and women aren't similar. They have tons of miscommunications and mm-hmm. they don't feel the same about things. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a fairly ordered way to sort things out, you're going to get mm-hmm. in a lot of conflicts. Yeah. So egalitarianism by itself usually is a terrible way to proceed. But egalitarianism as a secondary principle where the wife can say, or the husband can say, I don't want to do traditionalism on this one. Mm-hmm. This one thing or that thing or mm-hmm. this thing. I don't think that's right for us. And I actually don't like the history of this thing. Mm-hmm. I actually think the tradition here is patriarchal and mm-hmm. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of the other um, dangers you have listed here, I think we can talk about together. One is failing to celebrate the contribution of women and the mm-hmm. other is failing to listen to women. Yeah. As dangers of complementarianism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have men at your point leadership positions and you credit success to leaders, which you shouldn't do then you're naturally going to be saying, hey, look at what that guy did. Hey, look what that mm. guy did. Hey, look what that guy did. So one of the things we tried to do when Vince was here, Vince had Vince was a guy, he was our um, children's pastor, and then he had like three women who were his assistants. And all of us who worked on staff knew that <laughs> Vince did a lot of like visioning and encouraging yeah. of people. He mm-hmm. was good at a couple of things, so which makes him, will make him hopefully a really good senior pastor because senior mm-hmm. pastors don't do everything. They do a few things, right? And then there were these three women who like helped organize and mm-hmm. advise, pulled back his excesses, did all kinds of stuff to help with the leadership of that ministry. And on the staff team, at least we were always like, great job, Gwen. Great job, Heather. You know, we <laughs> we tried to make sure, even though we mm-hmm. liked what was happening in children's ministry mm-hmm. and we affirmed Vince. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. We also tried to make sure we were constantly affirming the women who were, and with, like when we did the children's album, we I don't know if we did a great job being like, Vince and Nicole helped wrote this stuff. I think Vince spent more well, time writing did, some of the songs. Yeah, that one was probably fair because he yeah. did really write yeah. about 95% of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much did he help with the musical? Well. <laughs> <laughs> that might be different. So anyway, I, I think it's important yeah. to do that. And then in terms of listening, mm-hmm. I think that's just a discipline. Mm-hmm. You just, as a male leader, you have to believe part of taking your responsibility seriously is realizing that the way knowledge functions is that knowledge moves, knowledge is exceedingly local. And so you can understand principles as the leader, mm-hmm. but if you want to know what's really happening, you have to get to the place of local knowledge. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, that knowledge resides within the women who are most local to whatever you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so you need to go talk to them mm-hmm. and they need to, you need to mm-hmm. get their input. I think too, like, I, again, we said this before, we're not, 
our church isn't perfect at doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, a complementarian church has to grow in the areas that where there are weaknesses. Because I think in addition to that, one thing, I don't know, Jill, if you've experienced this, and I have in staff meetings, it's easier for women to get interrupted or like to get interrupted, to be interrupted and mm-hmm. then not in a, more frequently, mm-hmm. it seems at least than the men in our staff meetings. Mm-hmm. And I have to know, like, that's not the heart of the men. Some of it is just mm-hmm. experience over life. They have to shift that a little bit and mm-hmm. learn. Like you said, you have to sometimes mm-hmm. actively choose to do that. Yeah. But it's an area that I do see our church growing in and that right. I appreciate that. Or our staff team, I mean, specifically. Yeah, and it's hard to know why, too, because like right, our right. men are mostly pastors. They had, tend to have more authority in, in positions of authority. They're also older, most mm-hmm. of them. Most of our female mm-hmm. staff members in charge of ministries are younger. Mm-hmm. And so there's an age differential, yeah. there's authority differential, and there's a gender differential. Right. And it's hard and to know exactly what's driving differences. all of it. It's probably right. all of it's yeah. driving right. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of it's temperament. Like mm-hmm. Nicole is really good at interrupting people. <laughs> and then other people aren't. Right. right. And so Mike and I are both interrupters. Right. And we're major men on the staff team. Yeah. So we naturally interrupt people. Mm-hmm. But Nicole is one of the only women on the staff team who's a natural interrupter. Mm-hmm. And so there's that differentiation too. Yeah. So, but I, I do think it's important like to recognize that it's very easy. You have to, this has to be an ethic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, uh, we've talked about this a lot as we've talked as a church about being a multicultural church and an intercultural mm-hmm. church that, people who come from the non-majority culture, you must be gracious Mm -hmm. with majority culture, people who are trying to grow in this. I think this is true for women as well, that it is really easy. And I don't think as someone who is a minority ethnically and also a woman, I I think in my experience, the ethnic minorities are doing a little bit better at this, at Mm -hmm. being gracious with white people than women are with men who are trying to grow in this. And I think that's an area that as women, we can, we can love and encourage and support our brothers in the church who are trying to sort this out, who aren't going to do a perfect job all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel, I I do want to say as a woman, if you're listening and you maybe are more feminist than complementarian or whatever, um, I do some people will assume that I'm egalitarian because I'm on a church staff and I'm a woman and I I've been complimentarian the whole time (laughs) and I've always also felt really empowered as a woman Mm -hmm. and so you can be complimentarian and not feel like you're being suppressed or being something's being taken from you um it's I've felt always really empowered. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I can agree with that. I think that it's been actually mostly from the men at our church yes, who yes. Uh, and my husband who have empowered my mm-hmm. gifts and my strengths mm-hmm. and encouraged me to use them um, the most. Like I can point to specific mm-hmm. and my dad would be another person mm-hmm. where I experienced that from mm-hmm. my yeah. entire childhood. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I th- I was way more sexist before I got married and had daughters. <laughs> it's just I mean it's very helpful. It's one of the things that undermines the concept of horrific patriarchy throughout the history of the whole world. It's because all these men who were ever in charge, they had daughters half the time. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it changes you. Mm-hmm. But but in relationship to listening to women and that kind of stuff, I think one of the things that I've talked about with people is sometimes it's good to be open to the contrary opinion mm-hmm. rather than the majority opinion because the majority opinion is always going to be pressuring you because it's the majority opinion. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas you can easily just ignore the minority opinion, right? And so personality wise, I tend to favor because I'm very disagreeable. I tend to favor the minority opinion because 
I can hold that intention with the pressure I'm getting from the majority opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's helpful for the church in, a, in an egalitarian or feminist, probably more so feminist culture, in, in, in Madison, we're getting to a non-binary, non-gendered mm-hmm. culture. I think it's actually helpful to be complementarian, even if you don't know if egalitarianism or complementarianism is true. In mm-hmm. this context, I would say, then let's be complementarian. Mm-hmm. Because there's two things I should fear. One is, to not fully embrace and love the women in our midst. The second is to not grapple with the differentiation, the natural way God has created human beings and how we can flourish together, right? So being in a feminist culture, I naturally receive a lot of pressure to not offend the truths of feminism. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this anti-fem, this like feminist pressure on me to be like, am I listening to the women? Like what's going on? Is that happening? But I also am keeping before my mind's eye, the truths of complementarianism. Are we functioning realistically in relationship to gender? Are we treating women as women, even though we're treating them as full partners? Mm-hmm. And are we treating men as men? Mm-hmm. And how does that function within the church? I feel like that allows us to stay like in the tensioned balance of the will of God. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've seen this happen at egalitarian churches within feminist cultures where they think they're good because they're egalitarian and they listen to women, but they really are losing the prophetic voice in relationship to seeing how much feminism within our culture is destroying the relation between the genders yeah, between men and women in the marriage covenant, how sexuality functions Mm -hmm. and, and the rights of children and reproductivity and all of those sorts of things. They seem to be completely, oblivious to all those massive injustices mm-hmm. including i think you see this very commonly emphasis on abortion mm-hmm. that i see a much greater emphasis on the fundamental evil of abortion and divorce at complementarian churches mm-hmm. as opposed to egalitarian churches and i don't think it's because egalitarians don't care about marriage or they don't care about children i think it's because it's hard to accept feminism parceled right this is what we were talking about before yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah it's hard to to sort out what it is as a movement versus which pieces of it you agree with. Yeah. And to be able to keep that distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this goes back to that story I've told a number of times about Lisa going to, Lisa Dolliger going to a conference with other egalitarian women and the woman who was leading it from an egalitarian church talking about all the sexism she had faced as a woman on staff. And Lisa saying, that's really weird because I don't mm. face any of that sexism on our staff and we're complementarian. Right. Mm-hmm. And she came back and asked me about why that was. I thought, and I was like, I was like, Lisa, it's because we're complementarian. We don't think we have this covered. Like, because mm. we're complementarian, we don't go, well, we're not sexist. No, we're complementarian. So we better make the, sure. Right. Yeah, One of the is we danger. can always be yeah. sexist. Right. And so we have to constantly be renewing and renewing and yeah. renewing and reforming and reforming to make sure we're never sexist. Mm-hmm. And so that's always on our mind. The minute yeah. you say, I'm egalitarian, you go, I win. I'm not sexist. I'm, mm. I believe in equality yeah. and then you can act in, a, in lots of mm-hmm. sexist ways and, right. and like you don't really you're not really looking for it right yeah. this is I mean this is the same argument as to why we are continuing to talk about um, people putting up walls of hostility yeah. in relationship yeah. to multi-ethnicity because we said we preached on it but we don't want to say oh great we preached on it now we're good we want to keep this at the forefront yeah. right it's like you kind of have to have this mentality we believe in multi-ethnicity and we're complete failures. Right. You have to like basically <laughs> believe always that you're this like complete failure. Otherwise you'd be like, we did it. We did it. Yeah. Isn't it great? You start patting yourself on the back. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, your minority brothers and sisters are being like, no, yeah. this is actually bad. Like, right. This stinks. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I constantly hold in my mind, even when we have like what seem like real advances in multi-ethnicity, right. mm-hmm. I still in my mind go, 
we're nowhere near mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. envelope of okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Right. It's ha- having a high value on vigilance. Yeah. Yeah. In our, in our lives. And mm-hmm. humans, I just think, I think this is true for everything. Yeah. Humans are not wired in the flesh for vigilance. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I like to create as many artificial mechanisms for increasing vigilance as I possibly can in my life mm-hmm. in every area. Faithfulness yeah. to my wife mm-hmm. in my parenting and not being sexist with my staff team in valuing multi-ethnicity mm-hmm. in being faithful to the scriptures in everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a conversation that's going to, keep coming up hopefully and mm-hmm. this is this is not just say oh great we did a podcast on it mm-hmm. yeah there you go um nicole had mentioned the rooted class before and that also is just it really feels like we're opening this up and so it's a conversation to keep having yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh and just in, in addition to that if this is something that you want to talk more mm-hmm. about you can email Jill or myself mm-hmm. or Nick or people on our staff team, you can talk, bring this up with your friends to continue to talk about mm-hmm. it. Ask other women who are in the mentoring ministry. I mean, there are a lot of people who would love to continue this conversation yeah. because we know it's one that is especially like we've been saying in our culture right now, mm-hmm. it's complicated. And there are a lot of people who have personal reasons why it's painful too. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we yeah. recognize that. Alex and I talk. talked actually just last night about after this present rude class ends, yeah. one of these weeks I'm not preaching for us, some of us to do like a thing on complementary yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. for both sexes. Yes. That many yeah. women can come to. Yeah. That'd be really good. And then the difference of not the number of people at first and second service will be even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening and we will keep talking about this as we said. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.